the Irish Times Inside Business podcast in association with EY, building a better working world. Hello and welcome to Inside Business, a podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Laura Slattery, standing in for Curon this week and on today's podcast. Round two for technology layoffs, with Meta and Amazon both announcing a second tranche of redundancies in recent days. Can we expect other tech companies to follow suit, or is the end to tech winter almost in sight? Later, we'll also be discussing the mood in the banking sector after last weekend's dramatic rescue of Credit Suisse. But first, Amazon confirmed this week that it plans to shrink its workforce by a further 9,000 people, adding to the 18,000 jobs it axed in January. Meta has said it will cut 10,000 staff and leave 5,000 vacancies unfilled. This follows 11,000 redundancies by the Facebook owner back in November. With me to assess these and other job losses in the sector is Kira O'Brien, who covers all things technology for the Irish Times. Welcome, Kira. Hi, Laura. How are you? Tell us, first of all, what has Amazon said and why is it in this position? Well, what it said is that it's it's going to cut more jobs, thousands more jobs. And if you've been watching the sector, I suppose this isn't a massive surprise because the first round in relation to the amount of people that Amazon employs, it was actually quite small. So I think that the, the, the general feeling was there was going to be more to follow. Now, this time around, they are cutting from the, the, the likes of web services. And I think this is where, you know, we, we've kind of relatively escaped relatively unscathed from the previous round because of the type of of jobs that they have here. Most people would be in Amazon Web Services and we have a small kind of fulfillment centre cohort as well. But that's compared to what Amazon does elsewhere was relatively small. Uh, The problem this time around, I suppose, we're going to see more job cuts, I would imagine, in this particular round because they've specifically said that Web Services will be affected. And as I said, that's where the majority of people in Ireland employed by Amazon are actually working. So people in Amazon right now are in, in Ireland are, are sort of waiting to find out still whether or not their job is affected? Yeah, the problem, I suppose, for people who are, are, are affected by the job cuts outside of the US, in the US it tends to be quite swift. You know, we've seen it with the other uh, tech companies where they announced job cuts and people were getting emails within hours to say that their jobs were gone. They can't really do that here because, you know, there there's, has to be a consultation period and because the employment laws are different. So they're, they're kind of treading carefully, I think. So there is a consultation with staff. Uh, and then we'll find out now over the next few months, I suppose, where those jobs are going to go. And that's been the same kind of thing with Meta and Google. You know, the the, the consultation period and the kind of the decision making period dragged on for quite a while because they're trying to figure out, you know, where the best places to, to cut those jobs are. And they do it by business group rather than geographic location. So if Amazon says it's going to cut a certain percentage of jobs, that doesn't mean it'll be applied, you know, in each geographic area evenly. It depends on, on what business groups are there. So trying to tease that out, I think it's it's important that they get it right because as we've seen, when you kind of go in uh, with a big a big stick and, and basically cut down loads of jobs in one go, as Twitter did, you then find, you know, you've cut vital skills. And we've seen the repercussions of that where they had to go and ask people to come back where, you know, things have stopped working because there aren't enough people working in certain parts of the company where they've been dragged into, you know, to, to meetings with the European regulators because they're worried about privacy and moderation. So I think you know it, it is going to take some time, which is not great if you're one of the people who are affected by this, because obviously certainty, you know, it, 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 you want certainty, you want to know that you have a job in six months time. Um, and, you know, having this hanging over your head is not great. 
Yes, it's interesting. It's actually um, not even just Twitter. I get the sense from some of the US companies and their workers there that even when the layoffs are announced, uh, the people who are left behind aren't necessarily sure, you know, why it was that uh, their um, colleague was let go and they weren't. There's a sense of kind of almost random decision making happening, you know, as as companies uh, seek to cut back. But just turning to Meta then, uh, Mark, Zuckerberg has dubbed 2023 the year of efficiency for Meta, which doesn't really sound like much fun for the people working for the company. But what has he no, said about its new round of layoffs? Well, it's basically doing 10,000 on top of 11,000 that it already announced. Um, you know, there was somewhere in the region of 340 to 350 jobs cut in Ireland in the last round. But I suppose we might see a bit more in this particular round just because look, the, what they've done is they've they've cut from, they're doing it in three rounds, they've cut from HR first, that was the last couple of weeks people were being told about that one. Uh, the tech group is being decided next month and then other business groups in May. So I think the other business groups is where we may see the bulk of any Irish job losses that are gone. Um because, you know, that that's, you know, that's basically what we do here. You know, that the, there's a lot of business groups in Ireland in Meta. And, you know, that I think when we get to that May, that May cut, that way we, we see the bulk of the job losses. So even though, you know, we were kind of looking at between 30 and 50 here in the initial one that was announced a couple, I suppose, last week, um, you know, we'll probably see more in May. And that, again, it's hanging over people's heads for weeks so, you know, I, I wouldn't like to be in that position. We've all, I think we've all been in the position at some point now, if you're of a certain age, you've been through a couple of recessions, you know what it's like, you know what, I mean, the, the tech bust, the early 2000s, that was, you know, that was a big thing for people. And a lot of people lost their jobs. It was hanging over people for a long time. Um, and I think, you know, we've kind of, we've come through what the 2008 crash and now we're into this particular uh, period of retrenchment uh, that's particularly affecting the tech sector at the moment. And for a lot of people, this is new territory, but, you know, we will kind of come through this. And even though Meta is cutting another round of jobs, you know, they still are employing quite a number of people and probably still more than they did before the pandemic started because they hired so rapidly and they expanded so rapidly. So, you know, it's not the, I don't think it's like, you know, people are kind of, uh, of, of talking about it as a, you know, the, the, the death knell for the tech sector, which I think is just, you know, mm. it's a bit over the top, <laughs> but, you know, I think it, it, it makes for good headlines. But in reality, I mean, there are still thousands and thousands and thousands of people in Ireland employed in that sector. So, you know, it's not the end of the world, but it is you know, very, very unsettling uh, for people who are obviously affected by it at the moment. Yeah, I've heard the theory that sometimes it's actually better to be a part of the first tranche of job losses um, than the second one because the people in the first tranche of job losses have already found a new job by the time the second tranche of job losses comes around and those people uh, face into a much more competitive um, market when they're trying to find another position. Do you have any sense of what the outlook is like, the hiring outlook for people in the tech sector who've been let go from from either Meta, Amazon or, or any any of the tech companies that we've seen letting go people in recent weeks? I think it's important to point out that while the big tech companies are letting people go and some of the, I suppose some of the, the smaller companies that grew rapidly, there are a lot of companies out there 
that are still hiring because they grew at a much slower pace. I mean, Apple would be the, the, the big one that hasn't actually seen any major job losses yet because it was more conservative, I think, when it was hiring people. Now, obviously, you know, it's, it, it doesn't apply just because you're a small company doesn't mean you're not letting people go. We have seen a couple of the, the smaller tech companies you know, cut maybe 10 or 20 jobs. But there are plenty of, of jobs out there. People are, are still hiring. Uh, it may not be on quite the same terms as you would get in Google or, or Meta. But a problem for a long time was that that these big tech companies were hoovering up all the available tech talent because they had the financial firepower to offer people big packages, big compensation, stock options, all that kind of stuff that maybe, you know, a smaller company who's just starting out couldn't afford to do. So for some people, I suppose it means like some people are using this as an opportunity to go and work for a smaller startup where you can make a real impact because you're getting in there early. Um, Other people, it will just mean, you know, it will mean taking a, a pay cut that maybe they hadn't planned on. Um, but there are jobs out there and these tech companies, they're still hiring for strategic roles. It's just that, you know, they've decided that they overhired in certain areas. They will still need people in certain roles. There will be, I suppose, a, a certain level of natural attrition as well, where people will move on. So those roles, I suppose, apart from Meta, where they've said there's 5,000 roles that are open, that they're leaving unfilled. But, you know, there's been a hiring freeze in a lot of the big tech companies for quite a while now but they were still kind of picking up strategic roles. Now, whether or not you fit into those strategic roles, I suppose that's the the big thing for a lot of people. But there are jobs out there, just maybe not in quite the same, uh, at quite the same level as there was before, quite the same pay packet as there was before. Yeah, it's really interesting the way Meta has said it's going to leave 5,000 vacancies unfilled. I mean, even that number, that it would even have 5,000 vacancies to start with, that probably indicates just, you know, what a big scale these companies operate on. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about tens of thousands of employees, um, 5,000 jobs, I suppose it sounds huge to us. I mean, 5,000 is kind of like the workforce of an Intel or you know Dell, uh, who are also cutting back on jobs. And um, we haven't don't have a figure yet for, for Dell. But, you know, I suppose it does seem huge when you put it in the context of the fact that Meta had more than 80,000 employees before it started to cut them back, uh, to cut back on, on all this, you know, all this hiring. Um, Amazon had over a million and a half employees, which is just absolutely insane. And that's obviously a global figure. Um, but, you know, and, and we're talking about in terms of, you know, Irish workforces, you know, Meta had more than 3,000 before they started cutting back. Uh, Intel had 5,000. Dell has around 5,000 in Ireland. Uh, so it seems like a huge number when you put it in the context, I suppose, of the overall workforce. It's not that big. And what they haven't said is exactly where those roles are. So, you know, they could be support roles or recruitment where obviously if you're not hiring the idea that you'd need a massive recruitment function, you know, that that just doesn't make sense anymore. So and that's where a, a good number of the, the the job cuts have come from as well. So and then, you know, you have associated things with that, like HR. You, if you don't have as many staff, you don't need as big a HR function. Uh, and you'll find some roles are kind of wrapped into others. And you know that's where you'll see that kind of that that 5000, I suppose, would be natural attrition to a lot of companies. But but Facebook or Meta, sorry, has made a point of saying that they're going to leave them unfilled. Um, and I'm not sure, you know, the, the, of the value of saying that maybe it's, you know, as a kind of a signal to shareholders that they're not going to they're not going to overhire again. You know, I don't know. I haven't obviously not party to that. I'm just pure speculating there. But you know, it, it is interesting that they've said they are going to leave them unfilled. So I suppose like the real kind of cost of that, of the real, the real total for this job is actually 15,000 rather than 10. I suppose the wider fear at um, Meta is that, 
you know, strategic direction, which you mentioned there, is perhaps um, a little more wobbly <laughs> than it was in the past, that they don't know whether they're going to get any more growth um, out of the advertising market. And they haven't really made the transition to the metaverse uh, yes, <laughs> to put it mildly. Well, nobody's really, nobody's really made the transition no. to the metaverse yet, not in any meaningful way. It's still very early days. And while I wouldn't, I wouldn't discount it, I think, you know, what Meta wants it to be and what it will eventually end up being may well be two different things because I've seen some very good applications for the metaverse. You know, if you want to go to university in another country and you want to do it virtually, Great, fantastic. This, you know, this kind of virtual training kind of platform, it seems like a good idea. Now, obviously, I haven't used this in practice. Um, you know, and I, I just don't think that people are ready, as ready for the metaverse as Meta would like us to be. Um, and, you know, we've seen it with different technologies in the past. We've seen different technologies such as, you know, I'd say 3D TVs, you know, which kind of were the, the, the big thing. It was the big bang. And then, they kind of died to death. Um, More than you know, once, often, I think. <laughs> More than one yes, death. Well, <laughs> they kept coming back at CES year after year. And you just kind of look at it and go, yeah, it's fine, but I can't actually lie on the sofa and watch a film because everything goes, I have to sit up ramrod straight and watch this film, which is not very relaxing. And also it's not very social. Um, but, you know, I think that the idea for the metaverse, you know, a lot of people have some very good ideas. It's 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 in the application of it where things are, are kind of falling down at the moment. And it's not quite at the point where it's going to be another license for Facebook to print money, because that's what the ad business was for Facebook and for Meta as a whole. You know, that it was a basic, it was a license to print money. It was a money machine. Now, that's dropped off, you know, for various reasons. Um, and, you know, the landscape is a bit more uncertain. People are spending less. Companies are spending less because of the increase in, in the cost of everything uh, and because the macroeconomic environment is a bit more uncertain. So, you know, where they are now, I mean, like, they're in an uncertain place. I, I don't think Meta is going out of business in the next year or so. That's that's just No, not... I, I won't write them off completely just yet. But while we are at this kind of crossroads and this, this economic malaise doesn't really see too many signs of lifting just yet. I mean, is there a sense that maybe there is more bad news on the jobs front to come? You know, is there almost like a domino effect here now that, you know, you have Amazon and Meta in the last week that were almost guaranteed to have a further round of job losses at some of the other companies? Well, I I would say we will see more just because, you know, these are massive workforces. There is a definite downturn uh, that they have to deal with. Um, you know, obviously we all thought that, that well, we all thought that things were great uh, for a long time, but that's the way things happen. You know, these recessions, they're cyclical. This is just the down part of the cycle. It will pick up again um, inevitably, as it has done, you know, every other time this has happened. I mean, as I said, I mentioned before, the, 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 the dot-com bust, you know, and actually I think... What you will see is you will see innovation come out of this because this always happens. You know, people get laid off from roles in these big tech companies. They go off and do their own thing. They, they may maybe have an idea that they can kind of put together now because they have their package behind them. They have, you know, kind of the breathing space to do something maybe that they've been thinking about for a while. And this is the push that they need to do it. Um, we saw with, with all of the, the recessions in the past, you know, where new companies have come out of it. Uh, innovative companies have come out of it and that's the next generation of the tech giants that are coming out of it and 
you know, it's obviously going to be a tough few, hopefully few months, maybe few years, depending on, on how long this lasts. But, you know, as for, I suppose, the next rounds of job cuts, I mean, yeah, if if I could if I could tell you for definite one way or the other, um, I would have next week's lotto numbers as well. So, but yes, it is. But- I think it is likely that we will see more. I mean, I don't think that you know, work human cutting back ten percent of its 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 workforce is the last we're going to see, and I don't think that Amazon's latest round of job cuts is the last we'll see in the big tech sector. It's interesting what you say about people setting up companies. You know, once once they are free of these big giants and they they can bring their expertise to their own endeavours. Um, the central bank, in an article published earlier this month, was talking about how we need to build up the indigenous tech sector and maybe be less reliant on the multinationals, which of course account for so much of our tax revenues. But they mm-hmm. weren't too concerned. It seems you know, at the extent of the job losses that we've seen to date, they were estimating that 2,300 jobs had been lost in the Irish tech sector based on recent announcements. I'm wondering, you know, we have, we've had some new announcements since then that we don't know the exact figures for, but do you think the faith of the central bank, the government, um, all the authorities looking at this in the Irish tech sector, riding out this storm is still intact? Is there, is that, is it intact? I suppose that's a, that's a very good question. Um, I think while we have seen, as I said, while we've seen the job losses in the big tech side of things, there are people hiring, there are people expanding. Hostel World, for example, you know, while you may think of it as a tourism company, it's actually a tech platform. They're still hiring and but in small conservative amounts, that will gradually build up because this is what we've seen in the past as well. You know, these 10 to 15 jobs kind of bring more jobs and more jobs and more jobs. And then they feed into the local ecosystem as well, you know, because they need support services. And as these companies grow bigger, the people who support them also grow bigger. So whether or not the the, the central bank still has faith in its predictions uh, from a, a few weeks ago, you know, that's anybody's guess, I suppose, that they'll let us know in time. But I wouldn't be massively concerned about any massive attrition in the tech sector that's on the way just yet. Although I do think we will see more job losses. I think we'll also see some of those jobs get picked up by these indigenous tech companies. And, you know, while they're talking about, you know, needing more support for the indigenous tech sector in Ireland, there are a lot of people out there doing very good work. You know, there are there are VCs out there who are supporting Irish startups. There is programs like NDRC that are, are helping small Irish startups and at very early stage to get to the point where they can you know, commercialise their their businesses and scale and grow outside of Ireland. And we've seen success stories come out of Ireland. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced that there isn't the support there. There is, I suppose, we, more of it is always good. Um, I'm sure we'll see how that, that goes in the next couple of months. But I think if the government can do anything to support the Indigenous tech sector, they should. Yes, so so we can have another generation of uh, tech entrepreneurs. And on that optimistic note, I think, to what has been, I suppose, a disconcerting period for the sector. For now, thank you very much, Kira O'Brien. Coming up, how big is the banking crisis? At EY, our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients, enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com. 
First the social media rumours, then the reality. Only a week ago, Credit Suisse chairman Axel Lehmann insisted the contagion effect from the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank was local and contained. At the weekend, he found out the hard way that it wasn't quite local enough, as the Swiss government pushed through a rescue deal that saw rival UBS buy Credit Suisse for $3 billion. So what are the ramifications of this deal? Irish Times reporter Ian Curran has been tracking the Irish fallout this week. Welcome to the podcast, Ian. Hi, Laura. Thanks for having me on. You doorstepped Minister for Finance Michael McGrath earlier this week. What has he been saying? Well, I think, uh, I suppose to use a, a, a hackneyed phrase, he was cautiously optimistic, um, I suppose, about the, uh, the the situation and and, and about the, the, the kind of landscape facing the Irish banks now that Credit Suisse has been taken over by uh, UBS, as you mentioned. Um, I think on the one hand, he was very keen to stress and, and very keen to praise regulators on kind of both sides of the Atlantic for the speed with which they've moved over the last fortnight or so. Um, and, and very keen to point out that things have changed since 2008, that uh, banks are much more uh, ca- well capitalised, that uh, changes to European regulations mean that they have uh, uh, more oversight over the banks. But on the other hand, I think he was also, the, the sort of cautious side of it was that he was, you know, keen to point out as well that, you know, there's always a risk of contagion spreading through the financial system. That's just the nature of global finance today. It is globalised. Um, and I think, you know, he would have been uh, he would have been well advised to be cautious about it as well because of the speed with which things have moved over the past fortnight, which I think has taken everyone aback. Yeah, I mean, that line, like if you if you were to only come across that line that there's, there's always a risk of contagion, you might be worried. But I suppose they have been keen to stress that this isn't going to be a repeat of 2008 yeah, absolutely. And I think like the, the the thing that would give you hope that it's not going to be a repeat of 2008, I suppose, is that Credit Suisse is its own bank. It's its own unique situation and it's had sort of long-standing problems. And really, I think what you've seen in the past kind of week or so since uh, the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and the kind of panic that spread through markets over there is markets really testing Credit Suisse and and uh, and some of its shortcomings. And I think those shortcomings were, were well known and well flagged in advance. Yeah, I read in the uh, Financial Times that uh, UBS chairman Colm Kelleher, who's from from Cork, he managed to squeeze in a single pint to celebrate the Grand Slam in an Irish pub in Zurich over the weekend in a break from the negotiations. But, but you know, <laughs> single pints aside, is it fair to say that that even after this deal, everybody connected to the banking sector is on relatively high alert? Well, I think uh, you could say that, and I think uh, certainly, as I said, the, event, the events of the last uh, couple of weeks would have put everybody on high alert. But at the same time, what we've seen in the last few days is markets have reacted very well to the to the deal after an initial sort of panic in the early uh, trading on Monday after the deal was announced. There was a, a distinct drop off in, in in bank shares across Europe, including the Irish banks, and um, that picked up. And now the Eurostoxx Bank Index has climbed to about ten percent in the last two days. So. Really what you're seeing is, and it's been commented elsewhere, that you know you may see a sort of a repricing of European bank shares as a consequence of this because what we have seen is uh, Swiss regulators moving very quickly to, 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 uh, to support uh, a struggling bank. What you've seen is very positive messages from the European Central Bank and the other uh, institutions in Europe um, that, they will, that they have uh, tools in their toolkit effectively if this should happen in Europe. Uh, and and that, has really, um, that has really calmed a lot of nerves. But at the same time, 
I think everyone, as I said, will be alarmed with the, sp- the, the speed with which things have moved over the past fortnight. Yeah, it seemed like quite a sweeping intervention. Um, I was reading about the, the additional tier one bonds or 81 bonds and that they were wiped out as, as, as part of the terms of the takeover. But does that have any implications for Irish Bank? Well, I think this is what's interesting is because, I mean, if you were to look at potential ramifications from this uh, for the Irish banks, the AT1 bonds and the way that they were dealt with in this process uh, probably probably is one way that uh, it could affect our, uh, our Irish banks, certainly possibly down the line. Um, the AT1 bonds are effectively uh, a kind of a creature of the 2008 financial crisis. I suppose in addition to forcing European banks to hold greater amounts of capital, uh, European regulators, the European Central Bank, also makes them uh, um, issue these uh, AT1 bonds, additional tier one bonds. And basically, they're a normal sort of debt instrument, except for the fact that they don't have a maturity date. They don't have a, a, you know, a, an end point. They're in per- uh, perpetuity. Uh, and I suppose the, the other unique feature of them is that when a bank when a bank's capital ratios get to a certain level, a certain kind of distressed level, those uh, those uh, debt instruments, I suppose, get turned either into equity in the bank or else they get written down to zero, which is what happened in Credit Suisse. And the whole idea of this is that uh, they provide an additional cushion and, and also, uh, you know, in the event that a bank collapses, uh, you know, protect taxpayers from, uh, you know, it, it, it lessens the bill, I suppose, that taxpayers might have to pay in, an, in the event of a collapse, such as m- what might have happened with Credit Suisse if if the regulators hadn't intervened. Um, and so uh, in, in the situation of, uh, of Credit Suisse, what happened was um, those the value of those bonds was written down to zero. Um, and this has kind of spooked markets to some extent, right? Because um, normally what happens in this situation is that uh, uh, debt holders would be paid out typically before equity holders. And that order of operations was inverted in the case of Credit Suisse. It was effectively, th- those uh, uh, bonds became effectively worthless. About 16.5 billion, I think, euros uh, worth of bonds were effectively written down to zero. And this has essentially bought, brought that market for 81 bonds, uh, it's a global market worth about $275 billion, uh, to a standstill over recent days. And this is a key source of funding for banks, including the Irish banks. Um, and I think, you know, we reported earlier in the week that uh, Irish banks have uh, about $2.5 billion worth of 81 debt outstanding at present. Uh, at present. Uh, it, it seems unlikely that they will be able to in- issue any new debt over the next while, uh, given the kind of paroxysms that we've seen in that market over the last few days. Um, but uh, it, it's one to keep an eye on because if it does continue, it means higher funding costs for banks, uh, which may mean you know higher costs for borrowers and so on. But again, this is very speculative and the European Central Bank and other European regulators have moved in recent days to kind of allay those fears and say, look, if this did happen in Europe, we would follow the traditional order of operations. We wouldn't have written down the bonds to zero. There's no need to panic. So that's kind of what we've seen and it's one potential ramification. Yeah, paroxysms, I think, is a great word for what's happening in, in debt markets and in the banking sector at the yeah. moment. Um, but the focus really, Hannah, has, you know, turned to Europe and, and Credit Suisse in, in particular. I alluded to the fact that there was some concerns on social media about Credit Suisse last year, which they say didn't didn't help in terms of sparking withdrawals and so on. But but the the situation in the US hasn't, you know, is that's not completely resolved, is it? 
Well, I mean, uh, you've heard a lot of, uh, you know, good mood music coming from regulators over there at the moment. I suppose just on the social media thing with Credit Suisse, it's not a bank that typically helped itself in terms of its reputation. I mean, it's a scandal hit bank that has, uh, you know, really there's kind of two timelines if you want to look at leading into this. One from roughly the start of the pandemic and one over the last couple of weeks that kind of led to the deal. Um, In the first instance, you know, in 2020, you know, Credit Suisse had a, a... uh, a spying scandal that toppled one of its CEOs. It lost billions on the collapse of supply chain finance firm uh, Greensill Capital, which obviously collapsed unceremoniously in, in 2021. Uh, it, it lost 5.5 billion on the collapse of Archegos Capital Management and, and uh, amid sort of huge failures in its own controls. Uh, and so, uh, you know, th- there has been sort of, you know, it hasn't been out of the headlines in recent years. So uh, obviously social media speculation played a part because then what happened was earlier this month they delayed the release of their annual report um, this caused obviously some panic among depositors. They admitted to uh, material weaknesses uh, in their financial controls at the time. Uh, and obviously, as you mentioned, this was happening against the backdrop of a wider sense of panic and 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 uh, and uh, concern about what was happening in America. And um, and and depositors and and uh, and investors took flight. And and you did see some of that speculation on social media, which wasn't helped then by the chairman of the Saudi National Bank, which holds a ten percent stake in Credit Suisse uh, who was asked would you provide any more support to Credit Suisse and he said absolutely not and of course this got widely reported and and, and latched onto on social media really what he was saying was absolutely not because there would be regulatory considerations if they were to do that because they'd probably have to take a larger than 10% stake he wasn't just saying absolutely not because it's a basket case yeah Uh, throwing bad money after good yeah but it was uh, but but obviously uh, this was all heading in one direction and then uh, there were huge outflows from the bank over recent days. So as you mentioned, we have seen this huge impact that social media can have now and that this sort of how quickly this panic can spread. But I think it was definitely more of a situation that was more of the case when it came to things like Silicon Valley Bank and when it came to Signature Bank and Silvergate than it was in the case of Credit Suisse. But certainly it was a factor still. Yeah, we didn't have Twitter in the 2008 um, banking crisis. I mean, it existed, but nobody was really on it to any huge extent. So it is interesting to see this time around the impact of, of how worries can spread in that sense. But what's next now in in this uh, in this story? Do you think? I mean, is it sort of. It, we're, I mean, we're talking here, and you know, something could be happening right now. It's 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 fast moving. It it is. It's very fast moving. I think. Um you know, p- people are wondering aloud at the moment, given the reaction, the very positive reaction that this deal has had in recent days from investors in bank shares and 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 and, and uh, markets generally. People are wondering, do we still have a banking crisis? Um, and wondering aloud. And I think uh, it, it, it is hard to say uh, in some ways. And as you say, it is very fast moving. I think the most immediate concern now or question is, how does this affect, for example, the Federal uh, Reserve's uh, current cycle of interest rate yeah, hikes? Meeting later, as we speak, they're meeting this evening, Irish time, and they're going to announce their next interest rate move. Yeah, and and there's been some reporting around the fact that they may be considering a quarter point raise, which would be sort of on the lower end of the spectrum, or or no increase at all in interest rates against the backdrop of this kind of turmoil that has roiled, you know. And in uh, a way, no increase, although, you know, some mortgage borrowers might be happy. It's a bad sign because it can be interpreted as as they are concerned they believe the US banks are in real trouble. Yeah, and obviously there's some debate about whether uh, no interest rate increase or or, 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 or 
a hike as planned would actually impact or would actually instill confidence. But as you say, it's a very tricky balancing act and this kind of messaging is something that they will have to take into consideration. Who would be a central banker? On that uh, perilous note, Ian, we'll end it there for now. Many thanks, Ian Curran. And that's it for this week's edition of Inside Business. My thanks again to Kira O'Brien and Ian Curran. You can have all the latest business news land directly in your inbox each morning if you sign up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. Today's podcast was produced by Aideen Finnegan with JJ Vernon on sound. We'll be back next week. Thank you very much for listening. 